In August of 1966, Charles Whitman became a man history would not forget and potentially never understand. But today's guest is here to help us to begin to understand the life of a mass murderer. What were the experiences, the trauma that brought this apparently loving son and husband, devout believer in God, bearer of the American dream, to that tower with that weapon on that day? Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today's guest is an associate professor of English composition at Riverside Community College in California, a writing workshop leader, and for the purposes of today's conversation, the author of Mass, a sniper, a father, and a priest. Professor Joe Scott Coe, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be with you. Professor Scott Coe, may I call you Joe? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> Joe's, a li- <laughs> Joe's a little less of a mouthful. Tell us <laughs> yes. about August of 1966 in Charles Whitman. Who was he? Why was that such an extraordinary period of time in our history as Americans? Well, um, for that particular day, it was an ordinary day. Monday, um, people were just going to class and getting up to start their day. Um, Whitman had already done two horrible things in private. He had murdered his mother at home in bed, and he had murdered his wife at home in bed. And then he proceeded to um, load up his car with a trunk um, and contained weapons and supplies to last him for how however long he thought he needed to be at the top of the UT Austin clock tower. And he dressed as a janitor and parked in an administrative parking spot and went up the elevator and um, created this, really this first mass spectacle that we saw on television and on radio through mass communication. It kind of became this thing that we repeat this kind of this kind of giant awful conflagration of violence that really, in some ways, is a an antidote to um, silence and uh, hiding. It's this weird hyper masculine, hyper visible performance of uh, ugly, awful violence that um, we've seen repeat over and over and over. And in some ways, Whitman was the first kind of high priest of this horrible American, kind of dark American sacrament. And he, from that tower, shot how many people? Well, it's interesting because the, the count is, is, is just about 50. There was one person, for example, who was uh, killed and er, killed. They call it a homicide now because he had um, terrible damage to his kidneys. And then he just stopped. Um, getting dialysis, so his, the murder was attributed to Whitman 30 years later. Um, the, he also killed a child uh, in utero. It was the very first person that he shot at was a heavily pregnant woman named Clara Wilson. Um, and so the, the count is kind of like, is it 15? Do we count the do we count the, the child? Do we count this person later? So he he shot and killed 17 people and wounded um, about 31 more. Um, and again, this whole idea, if you think about it, if you've seen the film Tower, which is a very powerful 
uh, rendering of this using uh, rotoscope animation, that whole disorientation of what exactly is happening. People didn't know on the ground what was going on. They didn't think mass shooting in that moment because uh, that was not anything that was in the, the ordinary language yet. And so um, from 301 feet above just the, the uh, daily business of that Monday, um, all hell broke loose. Literally. Yes. Yes. You describe yourself as a stray Catholic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and you have written uh, a book, again, the title of which is Mass, that the cover, I mean, certainly depicts a, a, a Catholic priest, uh, an altar boy. What is the connection between the Catholic Church, the Catholic belief system, if you will, and Charles Whitman? That's kind of what Mass is about in many different ways, the connection yes. and the varying influences. Yes. Um well, the the you know the cover art and the whole idea of entering into this mystery, you know, is that a tower? Is that a tabernacle? Is it an altar? Is it is it a, a platform for violence in the sky? What is that up there? Um, going to the high high place is a trope in in all almost all ancient religions, you know, to go to communicate with God, whether it's for good or for bad. Um, in in Catholic in, in in my Catholic upbringing, um, which was actually for the most part a very positive, I identify as stray, which means that I'm very on purpose. I I kind of live along the fringe, uh, not strayed like I think I'm off the path, but I I'm over here and I'm watching and I'm engaged and I understand. I'm educated by that tradition. The thing that really stood out to me was how um, Charles Whitman was not kind of. Um, someone who occasionally went to mass with grandmother or something like that. He was raised at this moment in American Catholicism where uh, Catholics were coming into the mainstream where Catholicism was kind of hip and groovy in films and was also um, coming out of the kind of margins into being a a legitimate middle-class American belief system. And so he was part of that and he was educated in parochial schools by nuns um, all the way through high school, he was baptized and had his first communion and confession and was confirmed in the church. He was in Catholic scouting, and that's, of course, where his priest mentor comes into to it. And, um, and then he's also married in the church. Um, he, it's interesting because the, the, uh, as, a, as a Catholic student, when he goes away from home and is in college, his his practice, quote unquote, his traditionalism begins to fall off, which is very typical with with uh, college students in general. You get more independence, um, but he's still, in some ways, I think, very fixated on religion in a in a um, way that suggests that it did not necessarily serve him well, and uh, or or in some ways enabled uh, parts of his character that were that were not the best. And this is not about faith, and it's not about um, religious community, but it's more about the question of um, what were the messages, uh, what were the rituals, and, um, and uh, you know, do they, do they help or do they, do they reinforce uh, certain kind of toxic ways of being in the world? If all of your religious leaders, for example, are men and they are sequestered from women, uh, how is that different from a good old boy Southern white network where daddy beats his wife and beats his kids and gets away with it, brags about it afterwards. 
Um, and so, in fact, yeah. there there wasn't a lot of difference when you talk about the way in which uh, Charles grew up in what you describe as a violent and highly structured home environment. Lots of abuse. Yes. T- talk about that. Yes. Um, it, it it's interesting because in the research or in the in the discussion, there's often this kind of um, weird parenthesis put around the abuse in that home. And I just, I, I could not get past that. I thought that kind of defied research and thinking about uh, what it's like to be a child. So you have, um, you have uh, three sons in this household in Lake Worth, Florida, which at the time was kind of this, you know, suburb. It was part of Florida's growth period in the, in the uh, mid 20th century, the fifties. And, and this house that they lived in was small. I mean, you know, the father, who is a plumber, um, is a is a, a working class but prosperous person. The the mother um, helps him with the books. She's she uh, left school at seventeen to marry him. She's you know has a child to meet you know within a year. Um, and and you have these three boys and this mother and a dog in this house where there isn't any place to hide you know, unless you run away, there's no place to go. And so the, the, um, the abuse that we know that the, the Mar- Margaret suffered, Margaret, who's the mother in the, in the house would be witnessed by the children and this kind of churning and these chaotic incidents where there's threats with the gun or there's threats against the child. And, you know, neighbors are hearing things or reporting things and so forth, that that is very much part of the milieu in which, um, in which Whitman existed, um, until he until he ran away from home and became a Marine. Joe, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will pick up with what we are talking about now. We will pick up with Charles, and also we'll talk a bit about his uh, priest and the impact of the priest on his life. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, having a conversation with Professor Joe Scott Coe, author of Mass, A Sniper, A Father, and a priest. Joe, you talk about the intersection, if you will, of Charles Whitman's experience. At home, the the man was the leader of the house. He was violent, and he was violent with impunity. You talk about the yeah. Catholic uh, Church and its celebration and restriction and approach to its priests. Um, white and male, and that's what he yes. was surrounded with. And then you talk about him going into the military, into the Marines, if you will, which has often been, yeah. um, you know, sort of talked about as the man's man in terms of military service. Um, yes. Where, tell us a little bit about that, um, uh, that, that Marine tune that likened his uh, rifle to, his, to a woman. Oh, you mean the, the, this is my rifle, this yes. is my life? You yeah. Mean that? Yes. Um, 
Well, that, I mean, you can find that, that um, video as part of this training video and this, this Marine Pledge, which is like a prayer. It's, it's a competing gospel, if you will. And the idea of the, the um, rifle be, being the best friend um, of, the, of the Marine, um, it, it's, it's quite a credo. You know, it's quite a profession of, of faith. And, um, and it, again, says something about, you know, what do, we, what do we want our young men to be invested in? How are we training our young men to be um, in the world? And, and then if, if you end up coming home from battle or you, just, you are not going to, you know, matriculate um, or you get kicked out, uh, what is the place for you if, you're, if your destiny, if, if your holiest cause is to be violent? And so you have this kind of, in a way, military priesthood. Um, you have, uh, you know, the, the Southern patriarchal priesthood, you know, the, the, the good old boys. And, and then you have the, the sacred priesthood uh, that, uh, what, what models does that give you? And that, that may be a very mixed result. Well, and, and, you know, I was struck, uh, I, I'm going to go back to the, uh, the, the motto from the 60s film that you talk about. This is yeah. my rifle. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I will master yes. it as I master my wife. So, you know, again, I think it's my life. I think it's life, not. I think it is life, not wife. Okay, I would. I think it. Yes, it is but my same life. Thing. I mean, if, yeah, right. It's about dominion, so it, it applies absolutely. Yes, and and so you know, in each area, I mean, you don't ordinarily, I don't think, think about the the coming together of these three experiences, but in every part of his life, he was taught yeah. that it was. First of all, it was a man's world, that it yes. was okay to be violent. In fact, it was expected in some areas that there was yes. no recourse other than to be hyper male and and violent. And in fact, you talk about one of the um, the religious leaders that he came in contact with, who was an avowed racist and and oh yes. <laughs> So I mean, he, 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 it was extraordinary yeah. the the experiences that he had in his life. Talk yeah. about the the priests, uh, Father. Was it Luca Deluc? Leduc. Leduc. Yes, Father Leduc. Um, so so in so in understanding that that you know Charles Whitman was not kind of an occasional Catholic, but that he was steeped in this and. Um, the reason that this even came into my mind as something to notice was because the FBI interviews um, Father Leduc uh, 14 days after the shooting in Alaska, you know, and I discovered this document as I was trying to get my brain around just certain basics of the, of the story and try to figure out what I was going to, to think about it and write about. Um, and there's this, you know, statement or summary of a statement from, from Father LaDuc in Alaska. And I'm going, what? You know, Whitman was in Texas. He came from Florida, you know. And so so I had to figure out, well, let's take Whitman out of it and just who was this priest? And his story was very buried. It was hidden. Um, and as we know, because of not just in this moment where we're having this kind of second wave of, uh, revelations of priests who are, you know, on the on the disordered side of things, on the criminal side, you know, criminal predatory priests who were hidden um, and who were whose stories were were um, 
kept from public view, uh, complaints that were ignored, et cetera. What we've learned, not just now, but from the first wave, which was Boston in 2002, if you've seen um, Spotlight, you know you, you know what that's about a little bit, but that, that um, researchers and, and legal experts have had to study the markers of priests that are in trouble or who are troubled or worse in reverse. And so there are, there are these red flags that people have, um, uh, have identified. And, and Leduc has many of them, unfortunately. Um, I, was, I was really hoping more for a kind of story of a, of a priest who was kind of average and th- that this idea that someone he would, had mentored committed this terrible crime was a kind of tragedy of his life and he just kind of lost it after that. What I found instead was that he was mixed up and that we can see that he tries to get ordained in one place and then that doesn't work. And then he arranges a transfer to another place and then he gets ordained there. But then we see all of these other things like, oh, gee, he's using a different name. Um, he is moved around a lot within a fairly short amount of time. Suddenly he's popped into the military and um, he leaves uh, he leaves Texas after Whitman has kind of rebooted his relationship with him. He leaves Texas, and seven days later, the shooting happens. Um, it's not necessarily that the book is arguing that there is a direct causation, but the fact that there was so much involvement and so much um, um, significance in this figure who also is kind of hidden in the margins um, bothered me, to be to be honest. You know, again, there's so many things about uh, mass that are really, at the very least, fascinating. You make reference to the Roman Catholic teaching um, that says what about a man as soon as he is ordained into the priesthood? What happens to him? Yes, he becomes becomes, um, the second Christ, but, but what that means in practical terms is his soul is completely transformed. He's a different kind of being. The, the, the theological phrase for this is the ontological change, that he is ontologically changed. Um, and that means that um, you can't just, you're not suddenly not a priest anymore, but that you, you have this incredible privilege. And, and even with all that has happened now, in different cultures, this deference really remains very, very high. And the, the idea of someone so, so going back to Leduc, he comes to town. He lives down the street and around the, around the the block from where Whitman is growing up. Whitman is ten years old. Leduc is is uh, in his early twenties, and he's been rejected and or left a seminary and is killing time trying to figure out how he's going to get ordained. Um, and and so, what's the connection between these two people? Well, um, Mom is very devout as a Catholic. She's abused. And, oh, my God, this young man who wants to be a priest takes an interest in my son. That would never be questioned. I mean, um, he's not a college dropout. He's someone who wants to be a priest. He's going to be a priest. Well, that's a holy thing. And it, and it, that that idea of the motivation of that or the angle on that or the dysfunction of that would not have been questioned. It's just if you want to be a priest, you're going to be Christ on earth. And um, and that's a you cannot interrogate that thing. That's just not a question. And we see over and over again how that how that privileged access, that privileged position, um, hurt many people. And in some ways, I think we could argue too to do a, a bigger analysis of it. It's it's toxic to tell a person that in some way, especially if they're 
um, angle on that role is not aspirational if it is if it is exploitative. Um, it's also not good for them. And what are they repeating? What models have they seen uh, that, that may have been um, unhealthy, to say the least? We see over and over again, even, for example, in the case of criminal situations, where priests who, who were abusers, who were shuffled around, then in depositions reveal, well, yeah, you know, my, my uncle abused me, and then there was this priest. And they may not even use the word abuse. They may they may talk about just sexual activity, and it's just it's, it's, it's such an incredible tragedy. And, and so much of it has to do with we can't talk about that because you're so special. We can't even put that into words because you're so special. And going back to the idea of when we go to this mass experience of this horror, um, in some ways it, it, it defies speakability. You know, we, 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 we think that if we try to understand the murderer, that that means that we're wiping that away and we're not. We think that if we see ourselves even in the, in the, um, in the victim, that somehow we are, we are um, appropriating that. It's, it's, it's way more complex than this. And, uh, and so, it, so it's, it's um, just that idea, again, thinking about whether it's whiteness and maleness in the South, or I'm the daddy, or, or I'm, I'm the priest, or I'm the bishop, you, you don't get to question me. Now, I tell you what the rules are, and they also might change arbitrarily, but no matter what, I will, I will um, be beyond reproach. I will be able to evade. And so in some ways, you see um, you know, Charles Whitman's biological father and his, you know, faith father or his faith mentor in some ways are sides of the same coin, which is I will always escape. You know, I will always, I will never be accountable to you. And, uh, and what an awful model for, for a young man. And so indeed you, you as the young man, you will never be safe and you will never really have a voice unless it's a pre-approved voice. And the pre and the voice we have approved for you is in your fist, it's in your gun, it's in your knife, it's in your your anger. Um, but your hurt, there's no room for that. Your legitimate grievance with this whole model, there is no room for that. Joe Scott Coe, author of Mass: A Sniper, A Father, and a Priest. We will take a momentary break and we will return. Stay where you are. Even as you were doing research on this book, you spoke of having to reassure people that you were not going to say anything that they didn't particularly want you to say. It was very difficult for you to get information. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at you. Just, yeah. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Yes, I I I did try in the in the beginning um, to to again you know coming upon that FBI statement just to go oh well you know who is this person you know the odds are that this is just someone and they have a life maybe they're still alive I'm talking about the priest again and uh, I try to approach things in this very um, you know unparenthetical way 
Uh, and then, of course, I had a few weird encounters where I was told uh, things that were not true, or I was kind of sent over, go over there. He was over there, and these weird kind of evasions or equivocations that um, that I understood were okay. Wait a second, you know, we're looking for this person in in 2000 and you know 12 2013 we're not looking for them in in 1922 and therefore there's already an element of suspicion that's hanging over the whole thing so that was that was tricky to navigate um but again some of that was my baggage you know as a as a as a catholic stray or devout um i can lay claim to any priest and I assert that right to know who who is my father, who is that father, and frankly, the legacy of Vatican II, which is that you know mid '60s reform in the Church, really is blooming in this uh, these questions and the and the activism and the the tireless advocacy of lay people, the people of the Church, and and people who are not Catholic who are pressing the clergy to to be pastoral rather than merely governmental or politic but to be pastors and to to air it, to to share it. There is so much more to um, the book that we've even had an opportunity to touch on as we've spoken today. Fast forward to today's world. As you've indicated, mass shootings, unfortunately today, they're not such a shock anymore. I mean, they are and they're not. Uh, right. The the lone person who nobody expected would ever do anything, uh, picking up a weapon and, and, and doing so much harm, we... we we don't get it, but we're not shocked by it. What do you want the reader today of Mass to draw from what you have uncovered about these three men and their interactions and their spirits in terms of what we're doing in the world? I think that um, one of the things that happens is the spectacle of a, of a Mass event like that blinds us. And we know that there is violence that is happening every day that is not spectacular, but it has even a more massive impact, whether it's violence that's happening in our name in another place, or violence that's in a uniform that's on our street, or it's a border guard, or it's our, you know, our uncle or our father, um, that, that there are these, there are things that are not spectacular in quotes, but we must care about them. And so what I would say is we must be willing to look into the ordinary we must be willing to recognize that it may not just be the victim we know. We may know the perpetrator. We may be standing by, you know, the research on bystander. How, 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 are, we, how are we going to, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? Are we going to just put our hands over our ears and cover our eyes and not look? And um, to, be, to be present in the world means not just to go for the, oh, there's a hero and the villain and we're done. And that was awful and then we're done. And repeating that over and over on the superficial level without really thinking about, well, what's happening up close to you? Do you need a mass shooting to make you feel something? That's a horrible, horrible way to live in the world. What's happening right now? You know, what's happening inside your home? What's happening in your workplace? How are we replicating these patterns of hostility and um, and perhaps uh, not challenging those patterns when we see them. And, and we're, we're complicit in so many ways. I think that really the book is a, is a book with, I kind of call it three beginnings, you know, in these different places. But the ending is really in, in the reader, is in us. And um, we can't be waiting for the pundits to tell us, you know, what's going to happen. We, we have to 
we have to really think about what we're the world that we're creating, not just living in. Joe Scott Coe, how do we get more information about mass and the other things? Because you've written uh, many things. How do we get more information? So if you if you Google search my name, um, Joe Scott Coe, you'll find my website. Um, Scott Coe is S-C-O-T-T, and then there's a dash in it, and then C-O-E at the end. Um, I'm on Twitter at Joe Scott Coe. Uh, my, my Facebook, um, which has all kinds of information about, you know, things on my mind as well as my work is, uh, at teacher at point blank, which is one word. And then, uh, my publisher also has a site. Um, the pu- publisher's name is Pelicanesis, um, which is spelled P E L E K I N E S I S. And if you put Joe Scott Co and mass, a sniper, a father, and a priest, if you put that into a search engine, telekinesis will pop up and you can see more about the book there. Terrific. Thank you so much, Professor Scott Coe, for joining us today and for the extraordinary and dedicated research that went into the creation of mass. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Brewer. And folks, thank you for joining me on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service and is not intended to replace any work you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is available on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. And be sure to go to the Mind Talk homepage where you can sign up for our weekly free giveaway. You can also sign up to receive our weekly program guide. Again, that's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And folks, remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.